A few years back, I went on a college trip to Zimbabwe. We had to go to another country to see the church in another country in another context. And we had to be at the airport for this particular trip, the standard three hours that you have to be before any flight that you take. But if you know me, you will know that I don't like being late for anything. In fact, my philosophy in life is that if I'm not 10 minutes early for something, I am late. So I interpreted this three-hour wait as a five hour wait. After all, I had to get from Honiton to London and across London to Heathrow. Who knows what kind of issues that I might face on this particular journey. So I set off that day on this journey to Heathrow and when we got to Woking on the train, there was an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a delay. We're going to keep you here for a little bit and we'll let you know what is going to happen. And I waited and I waited and I waited, and I waited on this particular train until another announcement happened which said, ladies and gentlemen, this train has been so delayed, we're cancelling it here, you have to get off at Woking and wait for the next train, and it should be along in about an hour. Suddenly, that five-hour wait that I had planned in was beginning to look incredibly squeezed, at least in my mind it was. So I stood on the platform that day thinking, okay, how do I get to where I need to get to now, when I saw this man who was being incredibly assertive with a poor station staff member, I don't know what was being said at the time, but I could see that she was getting a little bit flustered and trying to sort something out for this particular man. She goes off, and she goes off to try to do something, and I strike up a conversation with this particular man. And he says to me, this is ridiculous. I fly out to New York every single week, and I have to take this journey every single week, and this is happening more and more and more. It's just not on. So I tried to empathise with the man, and I said, I know, I'm flying out to Zimbabwe. It is ridiculous, isn't it? How on earth are we going to get to where we need to get to on time? Don't worry, said the man, stick with me, and I'll get you to your flight on time. He didn't know that I had five hours to play with, and I wasn't going to tell him, but he was going to sort it out. The staff member comes back, and the man says to this staff member, me and my friend have incredibly important flights to get to. What are you going to do about it? And the staff member says, don't worry, we've sorted you out a taxi. It's at the front of the station. If you just go out there, you can get in a taxi and you'll be at your flight on time. And to be honest, I'm getting a little bit awkward at this point because I'm not afraid to have a difficult conversation with anyone where I need to have a difficult conversation, but I don't really do kind of surface-level conflict very well. I'm the kind of guy that will order a steak in a restaurant, it will come out not cooked as I want it to be cooked, and I'll sit there going, oh, I can't believe my steak is like this, and then the waiter will come over to me and he'll say, is everything all right with your food? And I'll say, yeah, it's lovely. So I'm not doing very well at this point, but nevertheless, this taxi is at the front waiting for us, and all of a sudden, we're whisked off to Heathrow, and my five-hour uh, journey time that I planned for becomes six hours because we got there so quickly. What is my point this morning as we start off this particular sermon series together? There was no way on earth that I would have got that taxi on my own because I don't do things like that. If it was me, I would have just waited there for the next train. But this guy, doing this job for so long, knew how to play the system, and I followed him. My point this morning is this. Who you choose to follow will always determine your destination. Who you choose to follow 
will always determine your destination. And that's true in any sphere of life, isn't it? That's why when we're talking about someone who has recently been sent to prison, the rhetoric you'll often hear from family and friends is they followed the wrong crowd. And as we go through this sermon series together over the next few weeks, the fundamental question that I want us to ask over this time is simply this. Who am I following? Who are we following? Because one of the things I believe the COVID experience has exposed to many, many Christians in this church and churches up and down our country is that sometimes we have mistaken church attendance sitting through a church service or in attending various different church groups for discipleship. We have confused loyalty to a program to loyalty to Jesus. And when all is stripped away, when we can't do church in the way that we like to do church or the way that we're familiar with, when various ministries that we hold so dear no longer happen, faith has felt incredibly flimsy at times. And you know, it breaks my heart to see people who were once so prominent here at Hope Baptist Church pre-COVID now not going anywhere and not part of any congregation or any church at all. And our heart in focusing on discipleship together over the next few weeks is begin to examine where we are with Christ, not with any kind of condemnation. The Bible tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But our heart in looking at discipleship together over the next few weeks is begin to begin to give us some tools in order to help us go deeper with Christ and become deep-rooted disciples with Christ. Because, let's face it, COVID as at least as it was two years ago, for the majority of us, has now passed. We're not facing the struggles and the stresses of that particular era as we were this time two years ago. But the struggle is not over. How do we do discipleship when we're struggling to pay the bills? How do we stay faithful to Christ when we look at the world and there seems to be so much injustice, so much hurt, so much heartache and so much pain? How do we portray to a world where it seems so hopeless at times that there is hope and that there is another way to live? It's by knowing the one that we follow and following closely. Remember, who you follow will always determine your destination. So today, I simply want us to answer the question together, what is a disciple? Because this is the fundamental question that as Christians we need to grasp and grapple with. Because we're not simply called to pray a prayer and then just ride it on out into heaven. One day we'll be with Jesus and everything will be all right. No, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. And life in all its fullness, life in abundance, life in the here and now. And as a disciple, we're called to a different way. We're called to a narrow way. And it's the only way to truly grasp what that abundant life that Jesus Christ offers us really is all about. So what is a disciple? Well, the Greek word that's used in the New Testament for disciple simply means a pupil, an adherent, or an apprentice. And in the basic sense, that is what a disciple is. Jewish rabbis would have disciples, and their disciples would be young men who would follow them about absolutely everywhere, hanging off every word that they spoke in order to be like them. 
And in a general sense, the New Testament speaks of many different people having disciples. It talks about Moses having disciples, John the Baptist having disciples, Paul having disciples, to name a few. But what Jesus does when he talks about discipleship is he gives it a richer meaning. He refines this idea of discipleship to mean more than simply a pupil, an adherent, or an apprentice. And he refines it to help us understand that it's someone who is totally and utterly fully committed to him. And the reality is, none of us will ever reach that level wholly this side of heaven. In fact, some of us will fall very, very short of it. But Jesus' desire for you and Jesus' desire for me is that each and every one of us move closer to him. That we become wholehearted disciples of him. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, when Jesus called his first disciples, what did he say? We've heard a bit about it already in the kids' talk this morning, but we read these words in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. It says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. When Jesus called his first disciples, he did so with the words, follow me. Remember what we said at the beginning, who you follow will determine your destination. At its core, that's what it means to be a disciple, someone who wholeheartedly follows Jesus. But more than that, this morning, I want us to drill down a little bit further into this and look at four aspects, really, that make up the DNA of what it means to be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's pretty simple, really. Those four aspects that I want us to look at this morning are a disciple of Jesus worships Jesus, a disciple of Jesus listens to Jesus, a disciple of Jesus learns from Jesus, and a disciple of Jesus obeys Jesus. First and foremost this morning, a disciple of Jesus is a worshipper. We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth in the coming weeks, but most fundamentally, to follow Jesus means to worship him exclusively. And whenever we talk about worship, our minds immediately go to really what's behind me, doesn't it? When we talk about worship, we talk about sung worship. That's what comes up. And probably, I would say, the conversation that I have had most when people have been disgruntled at my time at Hope Baptist Church so far has been around the subject of sung worship. Some people have even walked away from the church because they have this perception that their preferences when it comes to sung worship are not being met or adhered to because the band are not necessarily playing the songs that they like or want. And when we reduce worship to this idea of sung worship and sung worship alone, what we essentially do is we reduce worship to some sort of holy karaoke. Whereas 
When it comes to worship, the word worship is made up of two different words, two old English words, worth and ship. And it's this idea that when we worship something or someone or an object, we ascribe them the place of honour in our lives, the number one position in our lives. Therefore, the subject of worship is not about fulfilling our preferences, as if it was about us in the first place, but it's about giving him glory. And when we understand worship in that context, we begin to understand that worship is not simply about 20 minutes here on a Sunday morning. This is a vehicle to get our eyes fixed upon Jesus. That's why we sung just before we started the sermon again, because we want to fix our eyes upon him. This is just to help us. But worship is a whole life thing and a whole life experience. And therefore, when we see it like that, our our preferred style of worship takes on a less significant meaning. When it comes to sung worship, we realise there we were never the objects of our worship in the first place. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ worships Jesus exclusively, there are many things in this world, aren't there, which vie for our worship. Whether that's money, whether that's possessions, whether that's loved ones, whether that's family, whether that's football teams. But the call of the disciple is to seek first the kingdom of heaven, to ascribe that place of honour in our lives to Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, when he is the object of our worship, when the money gets tight because there's an economic crisis, or when our possessions get old and rusty, or when our loved ones let us down and abandon us, when our football teams lose 5-1 to a non-league side that they should have beaten, it doesn't matter anymore because Jesus is the one that we worship. And therefore, our feet are firmly upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, church, who is the object of your worship? Who is the one that takes that place of honour in your life? Secondly, a disciple knows how to listen. In Jewish culture, a disciple would literally hang off every word of their rabbi. Ultimately, they wanted to be like him. So they would follow him around and they would listen to his teachings in order to be like him. There's this amazing moment in the Gospels where Jesus takes Peter, James and John up to a high mountain. And on this mountain they see Jesus for who he really is. He's literally transfigured in front of their eyes. His clothes become dazzling white. And all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear next to him and they start talking with Jesus. And Peter, he gets frightened at this stage and he doesn't really know what to say. So he just blurts out something about making shelters for for Jesus, for Elijah and for Moses. And then there's this voice from heaven which says these words, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The world in which we live is awash with teachers and competing voices attempting to get us to listen to them. But listening to Jesus is what makes a disciple distinctive. Jesus said that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. So let me ask you a question this morning, church. What was the last thing that Jesus said to you? When did you last hear his voice? You may be here today or you may be watching online and you don't really know the answer to that question. 
And if you can't answer that question, like I said earlier, there's no condemnation. But know this, Jesus is always speaking. And if we're not sure of the last thing that he said to us, maybe that's an indication that we need to schedule into our schedule some time to get alone and to listen to him. What did Jesus do when he wanted to hear from God? He withdrew from, to a lonely place where he could tune out the noise of the world and tune in to his father. A disciple worships Jesus. A disciple listens to Jesus. And thirdly, a disciple learns from Jesus. When Jesus calls his disciples he calls them not to simply listen to him but to learn from him as well we read these words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light There's this account in John chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching the crowds and what he's teaching the crowds at this point is actually quite tough for them to stomach. They don't like the words that Jesus is teaching them. So swathes of the crowd just get up and they go and they say, no, we can't handle this right now. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me as well? And they turn to Jesus and they say, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe and we have come to know that you are the holy one of God. you know to learn from jesus should be the disciples greatest desire if we're called to be like him we're called to learn from him how do we learn from jesus it's only by spending time with jesus have you noticed the more time you spend with a person the more likely you are to take on their mannerisms the more time that you spend with a person the more likely you'll start to coin the phrases that they begin to use, to like the things that they like. Why? Because something of their personality begins to rub off on you. And that's essentially what discipleship looks like. The more time we spend sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, the more we allow his teachings to impact our souls, the deeper our discipleship grows. So what does learning from Jesus look like for you, I wonder? For many people, it will look like a regular quiet time. For others, it might look like journaling what Jesus is saying, writing those things down. For others, it means getting together with friends and and opening the scriptures together. And my encouragement for all of us, and I include myself in this this morning, is that this week, look for those steps that you can take to pursue a healthy spiritual rhythm in your own life that will actively allow you to begin to listen to Jesus and to begin to learn from him. Finally, A disciple worships Jesus, a disciple listens to Jesus, a disciple learns from Jesus, and a disciple obeys Jesus. We read these words in Matthew 16 and verse 22. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Jesus uses this analogy of taking up a cross because in ancient times the Romans would make people who are going to be executed take their own cross pick up their own cross and carry it 
to the execution. The Romans, they had some money. They could, have, they could have afforded to pay someone to do this if they wanted to. But there was a specific sign in them making the person who was going to be executed carry his own cross. Effectively, what it was saying to the crowds who were watching is that this person is totally and utterly under our control. If we want him to live, he lives. If we want him to die, he dies. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Listening and learning from him ultimately means nothing unless we're willing to put it into practice. And that involves saying to Jesus, Jesus, whatever you call me to, whatever road you call me to walk on, my life is no longer my own. I'm all in. I'm yours. And I'm choosing to follow you. And that is essentially the heart of a disciple. But that sounds restrictive, I hear you say. If being a disciple means worshipping Jesus exclusively, listening, learning and obeying him, what kind of life is that? It is true. Following Jesus means rejecting the ways of the world. And the world can look at this life of discipleship as incredibly restrictive. But let me tell you a story. It's a true story of a boy that for the purposes of this, this uh, analogy, I'm going to call Jeff. Jeff is someone that I went to school with. And Jeff was an extremely, extremely talented football player. So much so that Portsmouth Football Club looked at him and said, we want to take you on. And this is when Portsmouth were actually good. We were banging on the door of the Premier League at the time. So they were looking at this kid and thinking, yeah, this kid is going to be something special. And they took him on at this point. Now, when Jeff gets taken on by Portsmouth, he has a choice to make. Do I restrict myself and focus on honing my skills? Practice, 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 practice. Or do I go and live the life which at this time looks like freedom, which every other teenage boy seems to be doing in the school? You know, drinking, smoking, partying, all of this kind of things. What do I do? Jeff chose to follow the wrong crowd. As a result, he was dropped by Portsmouth, didn't do particularly well at school and ended up in a job that he didn't particularly want. Had Jeff restricted himself and chose to not go down the route that everyone else was going, practice, 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 hone his skills. Today, Jeff would probably be living a life of freedom that is beyond most of our understandings. He'd be coming to the end of a very successful football career. He would probably have more money in the bank than any of us could ever imagine and have the freedom to choose what comes next for him in his life at his time and at his calling. But he went the way that most teenage boys do end up going. And you know, in the world's eyes, following Jesus could look restrictive. I can choose to limit myself and follow him wholeheartedly, follow him exclusively, and follow him no matter what. Or I can live the way of the world that says, ah, forget all that. You know, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. Let's just all have a party and everything will be fine. Just do what you want. Do what makes you feel good. The fact of the matter is, following Jesus might look restrictive, but this is what Jesus says. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the world's eyes, what looks like restriction actually produces a freedom that nothing else can. 
So if who you follow determines your destination, my question this morning for everyone here and include myself in this is, who are you following right now? And the application in many respects this morning is really simple. What does it mean for each and every one of us to take one step closer to Jesus this week? What does that look like for you in your own life? Maybe right now you're walking with Jesus and actually you're feeling like you're really close to him and actually you're experiencing the blessing and the joy of walking with him. My encouragement to you today is to keep on keeping on. But maybe you're following Jesus and it feels like you're following him from a distance right now at the moment. And if that's true for you today, I want to say to you once again, listen to the master's voice inviting you closer. Maybe you were once following Christ, but now life seems to have knocked you so badly, you're simply not sure if it's even worth it anymore. Jesus says to you today, I believe, look at me again. Remember the blessings of following me. Remember how it enriched your life and gave you meaning and a purpose and a hope. And let's go again. You know, there's this ancient Jewish blessing which simply says this, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. In ancient times, a disciple of a a rabbi would walk so closely to them every step of the way and they would hang off every word. Now, the roads in ancient times were incredibly dirty and incredibly dusty and every time you walked with your sandals, it would kick up dirt and dust. And the point of the blessing is that maybe you should walk so closely to your rabbi that that dirt and that dust covers you. And you know, that has to be our goal too, doesn't it? May we walk so closely to Jesus that there's no gap, that there's nothing in between, there's nothing that gets in the way. May you walk so closely to your rabbi that you're covered with his dust. May you know him so intimately that nothing comes between you.